You're listening to The Conservative Conscience. In Washington, politicians are full of half-truths and hot air. The Conservative Conscience is here to help you cut through the rhetoric and noise and explore the politically right way to think about the issues. You'll dive into one of the most insightful conservative minds in America. Conservative Review Senior Editor Daniel Horowitz. Using pure common sense and ignoring the group think, Daniel breaks down the major issues in Washington. You are now entering the conservative conscience. And welcome back to the conservative conscience here at Conservative Review. It is Tuesday morning, April 9th. Glad to be back in the house again. Really got some great reaction to yesterday's show. And if you loved yesterday's show, well, I'm telling you, you are going to love today's show even more because... Another day brings another opportunity to speak the truth. And as long as God gives me voice in this throat of mine, I am telling you, we are going to speak the truth wherever it takes us. You got to go to the truth, and then you got to craft policies based on where the truth lies. And as I noted throughout the last number of months, the truth of this border invasion comes down to one point and one point only— And that is that the lower courts are engaging in civil disobedience against its own branch's longstanding precedent on the fact that illegal immigrants do not have standing to sue in court when they want to enter the country and they have not affected illegal entry. That they have no right to be released. They have no right to any affirmative status. And the courts have flipped that on its head. Completely flipped that on its head. We've had 103,000 people apprehended. Forget about the ones we never apprehended, which are the really bad dudes, in March. According to preliminary numbers, the official numbers, at least as of this broadcast, have not been posted But that is all because of a handful of California judges. I want to talk about what happened yesterday evening in the Northern District of California, this ridiculous left-wing judge. But before I do that, before I set the table on what I think the president should do to finally end this judicial supremacism, And I think there are signs that today would be the perfect time to do this for Trump to issue an ultimatum to the Supreme Court, demand it enforce its own precedent, demand it police its quite very inferior lower courts, or else he will do it on his own. Concurrently, having members of Congress impeach these judges At least just file impeachment. Definitely something we need some of the better guys to be doing. I'm going to be working with some of them to give suggestions on on who to do and in the case against them. But he's got to force the issue once and for all. Before that, I want to zoom out to something completely different. So that's the teaser. I know I'm teasing you for today's show, but I want to go back a little bit to something that we're not going to discuss that much this week, given all the news, and it is really busy, and that is healthcare. The lack of a vision on the right for what healthcare should look like in America. Okay. The fact that no individual family could live with dignity and afford health insurance or health care without government socialism, but yet it's the government socialism that's ensuring that nobody could afford it. I want to discuss a personal anecdote that just really brings this point to bear. And why I just really want to get back into healthcare at some point, but we just don't have time because unfortunately nobody's doing anything about it. And we just have this invasion at the border. We have the insane courts. We got a lot to do. But um, 
gosh, there is just so much, so much to talk about here. And I'm, I'm even getting this distracted now with 50 million news stories. So we, we got a lot to get to, but I want to just do this real quickly um, because it's, it's, it's not just that it's personal, but I think a lot of you could relate to this point. So yesterday, my wife barges into the office um, in the afternoon and she was just really disgruntled and ticked off. She took all three boys to the dentist yesterday and you know they go to a pediatric de- dentist cuz originally you know she wanted them to have a good experience they have a good bedside manner designed for kids but they're more expensive and she was like i mean we're going to owe over $700 but that's not even what bothered her so much and then these were regular you know the 6 month cleaning typical thing if we had a modicum of a free market in this country it would easily be 30 to 50 bucks a pop as it should be now again this was even more expensive because it is a pediatric pediatric dentist and we are going to switch and and you know shop around now there is a little bit to shop around but but here's the point so you know comes the end my wife uh basically uh you know is ready to check out whatever you call it uh goes to the secretary and she sees that we don't have insurance. Well, you know, we have a health sharing ministry, but it doesn't cover dentistry, and that's fine. My wife was saying, like, yeah, you know, we never had it when we were kids. You paid out of pocket, like anything else. Like, what, why, what about dentistry should be insurable? Okay, it's not insurance. You just, you just pay. But this woman says to my wife in like a very, very quiet, um, almost like sorrowful tone, you know, you could always get healthy smiles or healthy smiles, Maryland or something, whatever it's called. Um, you know, you, you're able to, we, we take that. And my wife said, well, aren't you talking about Medicaid? I mean, we're not eligible for that. And, um, you know, she just had this conversation with her and my wife just felt it was humiliating. The point is that it became very evident that nobody around pays out of pocket anymore for dentistry, even dentistry. What Obamacare has done to this country by mandating that the employer coverage cover it, when employer the whole concept of employers paying for insurance in itself is from a tax distortion created by the government, and then everyone else pretty much gets it for free because Obamacare just hands it to them. So what that does is the few people who are like, look, I don't want any subsidies. I, I'm willing to pay a fair price. I just want to shop around. You will get screwed and hosed that there literally is nobody who pays for dentistry out of pocket anymore. Well, what happens when nobody pays for dentistry out of pocket? It becomes like the rest of the medical profession, which is a dumpster fire where you go to a hospital for a Band-Aid and that will be $500 because nobody pays their own way. I mean, they do. It comes out of taxpayers or it comes out of your paycheck at, at work and you don't even realize how much. But if you don't pay for a service and have a normal market like anything else, that's what happens. I'm just saying you see it happening now. You know, healthcare, it's been that way for a while. So, you you know, we kind of think it's normal, but that's what originally happened. And the proof is in the pudding because that's what dentistry is. This is literally, literally the analogy we always give of if you would use your insurance card, your car insurance card, to pay for gas or oil changes. You know, you pay $25, $30, whatever for an oil change, depending on the size of your engine type of car. But could you imagine if everyone would just, here's my card, I'm a loser, I can't pay for anything, please government, help me, or just this whole employer thing. And, and look, I'm not making fun out of it, most of you have that, and I, I would take advantage of it too if I either had it you know, for free from the government or um, employer-based. Because once you have it, you can't do without it because it distorts the market. And anyone trying to just pay their own way gets screwed. This is what is so wrong with our system, and it's 100% created by government market distortions. What a dumpster fire economy we have now.
just reminded me of the same thing when uh, we used to pay for like $20 medicines, $25 medicines, the Z-Pack or something at a pharmacy. And they're like, well, I, I, I saw you didn't have insurance, so I wasn't sure whether to fill the prescription. We weren't talking about like a $1,000 thing. I was like, we are so screwed when I heard that. Anyway, curious what you guys think and you know if any of you experienced that. I know some of you are small business owners and don't have this uh, you know, employer cabal. You know, and obviously you're earning more than the the subsidy level, but it was just my my wife was just so humiliated. You know, they thought we were poor and whatever. And believe me, we're not wealthy, but you know, come on. A freaking dental cleaning? Come on. Imagine if 325 million Americans were in one individual market, both for shopping around for insurance, making it real insurance, and then the rest, like dentistry, I mean the entirety of that should be out of pocket. Imagine what the price would look like. But instead, it's not. A lot of people feel the pain, so then it's very enticing when they hear government handouts because, like, what am I? What are you supposed to do? I don't blame people, but that is our job as conservatives to give that vision, to demonstrate to people why it's this expensive, who caused it, and how we're going to fix it. So again, in the future, I hope to do that, but we got to move on to immigration in the courts. So last night we had this dumpster fire district judge Richard Seaborg Seabag. Um, from the Northern District of California, San Francisco judge. We have a border that's broken because of judges. So now the administration didn't take my advice of categorically shutting down asylum requests. Again, sometimes when you do the more categorical thing, it's easier to get across. But what they did do has bearings on what I want to do because it also involves the Section 212F of the Immigration Nationality Act, which gives the president full authority to either partially or fully close the border or place rest- restrictions on how you want to apply for a certain status. So what they did is they only did this for a few hundred people so far, but it was this pilot program where they would return those requesting asylum, who are all, by the way, economic migrants, they would return them to um, Mexico. Okay, they would return them to Mexico pending the outcome of um, of their cases. So the American people wouldn't be on the hook for it. And a judge, I, I actually did a word search of the 27-page order to just see 1182F. You know, Section 215A of the INA. I wanted to see if he even addressed it. No, never. I Googled sale, the sale, uh, not Googled, um, did a word search on the sale 1993 court opinion and Trump v. Hawaii to see if that would come up. Nothing. Judge is like, hey, I know you have the power to do this, but I don't like how you did it. And then the judge also felt a little uncomfortable with this nationwide injunction business. So he said, well, basically, I know that it's kind of dubious that we have this authority, but what else am I supposed to do? This is immigration. It's national in scope, so I'm going to do it anyway. Now, I want you guys to understand just how utterly insane this is. How we now have California judges empowering cartels and evil smugglers to control who comes into our country. Someone who has never affected legal entry into our country. They have no standing in court. We have turned around 200 years of case law on national sovereignty, and no one bats an eyelash. I want you to understand that the reason why the Supreme Court said for 200 years that Aliens seeking entry into the country have no standing, no rights, no anything. A is because of sovereignty. Otherwise, you have no sovereign nation because by definition, you're subject to external control, which in this case are the smugglers. Basically, the smugglers determine who comes into the country. But it's also because of foreign policy. The president controls foreign policy. 
in this particular case, this involved very sensitive carrots and sticks with the Mexican government for them to agree to this. What, are courts suddenly going to start vitiating diplomatic agreements? Are they going to nullify the Afghanistan war? I wouldn't mind it, the outcome, but you know they can't do that. Are they going to put an injunction? Are they going to give standing to Iranian nationals to put an injunction on the president's decision to end the um, Iran deal? Courts don't have this power, folks. Not by a long shot. They just don't. You know, in Clydenstep v. Mandel in 1972, the Supreme Court made this point. In accord with ancient principles of international law of nation states, the power to exclude aliens is inherent in sovereignty, necessary for maintaining normal international relations and defending the country against foreign encroachments and dangers, a power to be exercised exclusively by the political branches of government. Think about that. Encroachments. Because if you would have a court giving rights... It would – what would happen? What you happened today? What's happening today? Which is what? That smugglers can now create an entire industry off of the courts. It's unbelievable. Unbelievable. And w what's happened is this. The administration made this mistake back with the so-called travel ban two years ago. The first time the court cast the first stone, the lower courts, against Supreme Court precedent, against our sovereignty, our laws, our common sense, they should have asserted this forcefully. By not doing it, they, they figured, look, the Supreme Court will strike down, will overturn them. But it took a year and a half, and even then, I told you they would come back a thousand unlimited different ways and say the same things and destroy every aspect of our country. And remember, we quoted from Lincoln, his concern about Dred Scott and Stephen Douglas raising this novel approach at the time that somehow the courts are the final say on political issues. And he said, you know, because he kept pushing Stephen Douglas is saying, well, what if the courts say this? What if they say this? the territories on their own can't even decide what they want to do with slavery? So no, no, but that, 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 of course, they can do. Well, he said, wait a minute. If you – once you bind yourself to whatever a court says one time, doesn't that necessarily obligate you to follow whatever they say subsequently? And this is really where the administration got itself into trouble. For two years, they failed to push back against this. So it's hard to reinvent the wheel overnight. But, you know, there are signs. Some of you saw the article, the rumors that Trump did tell some of the border agents, yeah, it's time to, to follow the law, not the courts. I know our message is getting out to the White House, and I'm just going to keep making it. Supreme Court in Matthew V. Diaz, 1976, four years later. Decisions in these matters, meaning immigration, may implicate our foreign our relations with foreign powers, and therefore, quote, these decisions are frequently of a character more appropriate to either the legislature or the executive than to the judiciary. And again, it's fundamentally it was given to the executive branch, and the executive has its own authority. Could you imagine that this district judge? I'm the only one making this case. A bunch of these judges are in the Northern District of California. What's important about that? Well, aside from the fact that it's probably the most liberal area in the country controlling our national policy, international policy. But this is the very court that in 1996 said that the exclusion of aliens is a fundamental act of sovereignty and that the right to do so stems not alone from legislative power, but is inherent in the executive power to control the foreign affairs of the nation. And all along, this administration has never asserted that in that court. You are violating your own district court's precedent. Look, there is no statute that you could write that is clear. There is no Supreme Court decision that could be clear. 
It's already been done. But any lower court, because of the power the Republican Party, the other branches of government, including this administration, has accorded them, the deference they've accorded to these courts, they don't feel any blowback. There's no deterrent. But I will tell you what was interesting is that this judge, for the first time, seemed a little diffident in his views. He seemed a little unsure of himself. He seemed a little bit worried. And it proves my point that we're at a tipping point. We're at a crossroads. And I think if right now the president would assert himself, at least on immigration, give a speech about the Supreme Court president. The you know sometimes court. If you read a, in a speech a court ruling, it sounds it's, it's too you know in the weeds to give over to the American people. This stuff reads like butter. Okay, I know that's a weird analogy, but still, you get my point. Um, it, it's crystal clear. Start reading it. Explain it. Peter Shuck, one of the major immigration historians of the last uh, century, wrote the following. He explained this arrangement. Congress has chosen to confer exceedingly broad discretion over the most far-reaching immigration decisions, not merely to the executive branch, but to a cabinet official. In the face of broad express congressional delegations of authority to the president in the area of external relations, judicial power is the most problematic, and the president's authority, in Justice Jackson's words, is at, ex at its maximum. There, he may said to be to pers personify the federal sovereignty. And that's the story, ladies and gentlemen. Lower courts now control foreign policy, foreign policy decisions. Hey, I'm waiting for them to weigh in on NAFTA. Maybe they'll write a new deal for us. Again, Lincoln warned us that when you agree to the notion that the courts are supreme, not just even co-equal, which they're not co-equal as it relates to these issues, but that they're supreme, then there's nothing left. Every single decision they're doing this on. Every single one. I got news for you. I didn't even have time to talk about this. But on Friday, there was another wacko judge. Another Whacked out case. Where is this here? This was a Seattle judge on Friday. I believe it was a Friday order. This is KRGV. I didn't read the opinion. AP article. A federal judge on Friday ordered the U.S. government to give quicker bond hearings to immigrants caught at the border who pass initial asylum screenings. U.S. District Judge Marsha Petchman in Seattle granted a preliminary injunction and found that immigration courts should conduct the bond hearings within seven days if immigrants request one. She also said it's up to the U.S. government to prove why the immigrants shouldn't be released. Folks, literally, 8 U.S.C. 1225 says that they shall be detained, they cannot be released, and that the burden of proof is always on the migrant. You cannot write laws that are clearer than they already are. I don't know what law you want to write. This is why everyone, everyone in the political sphere is wrong when they say that we need new laws. We're not going to get them anyway, but it wouldn't help. Everyone is looking under the bed, under the pillow, under the carpet, under the rug, trying to figure out, men, what do we do? What's the cause of this border crisis? How do we solve it? It's very simple. We're not looking in the one area that is the antecedent to all of this. And that's forum shopping, lower court, universal nationwide injunctions. They're illegal. They violate precedent. They violate the underpinnings of executive and legislative authority. These are the areas where the court said for 200 years most emphatically that they have no jurisdiction to get involved. Even recent Supreme Court cases said that. And yet there's no blowback. They literally say the opposite of what the law is. And our guys go around and say, the law is broken. We need to fix the law. And again, could you imagine when the court spoke about volatile international situations? You understand what the courts are causing. It is unbelievable 
the magnitude of damage that these courts are causing. Just think about all of the sex offenders that are getting in. Really, think about that. Think about that for a moment. Do you know that the Border Patrol in um, Tucson sector announced that just last month they arrested over 12 prior convicted sex offenders that were convicted in eight different states over the years trying to re-enter the country illegally after being deported? And most of them were convicted of offenses having to deal with sexual assault or indecency or exposure to minors. And those were just the ones we caught. Because remember that because of these judges enabling the entire world to come in for economic reasons, game out phony asylum, and the opposite of law forced them to interpret asylum the opposite of law, forced them to approve credible fear, forced them to release them, Guess what? The smugglers, while they charge about, what is it? I don't know, 5000 for these dudes, they charge about 10000 to bring in the guys that have serious offenses that don't want to run into a judge, right? I'm sorry, run, run into a Border Patrol agent. Could you imagine all of these people are coming in now? So, for example, ICE just did an operation. We're writing about this tomorrow. 123 arrests they made just in the state of New Jersey, targeting those with sex offenses, DUIs, and drug charges. Often they had all three. Again, many of them indecent exposure, sexual assault to minors. This is a growing epidemic. I have tons of stories on this. There's a major problem with illegal aliens and sex offenses to minors. If the American people would know and understand the extent of this, if every case of this would be reported on, if every member of Congress would care emphatically about their own constituents, at least on equal par with what they care about foreign nationals, believe me, we would have a different political world as it relates to this issue. We'd have a rebellion. The UK Guardian did a report on the smuggling operations. Listen to this story. Listen to what a f these phony judges are causing. Listen to the chain reaction of foreign policy problems you create, of empowerment of our enemies by them getting involved in foreign policy and this administration, again, going two years without asserting themselves. Two years without this. Augustin Marcos, 44, used to be an agricultural laborer, but when corn production plummeted, he moved his family to the regional capital, also called Heitunango, whatever, however you pronounce that in Honduras. Now he works as a parking attendant, but he still cannot cover rent, food, and school fees. So he's considering migration. Quote, we know people who left just last month and are already in the United States and working, he said. <laughs> Uh, so much for asylum. Uh, when Aug Augustine traveled north in 1999, he went alone. This time, he plans to take his 17-year-old daughter. Quote, on my own, they'll cha charge me 11700 But if I go with her, it's 5200 for both of us, and it'll be easier to get in. Everyone wins. People want to leave, and we help them, said a smuggler. And I happen to make money in the process. We are paying for the rope to hang ourselves with. Could you imagine that? Even real asylum, there is no right to come here. It is a discretionary form of relief. It can be shut off at any time. And we are allowing this to go on. Here's my point for today. This judge... This particular one, Seaborg, Richard Seaborg, he actually was, like I said, a little bit cautious. The injunction is not going to go into place until Friday, pending 
appeals. I have to find out what's happening. But if I were the administration, here's what I would do. I would take this as the final example, the final straw. I would have my attorney general, as we noted yesterday, Attorney General William Barr is busy investigating uh, transgenderism, uh, discrimination against transgen- transgenderism and unmanly folks in the FBI. But if he were actually a man, he would go out and every single time a judge gives one of these opinions, call a press conference, say what I say, give the legal case, give the statutory case, give the Supreme Court case law precedent case, ridicule the judge. And that's what he needs to do now. But I would file an expedited the um motion, an emergency motion with the Supreme Court, bypassing the Ninth Circuit. And rather than getting in the weeds and begging them, oh, your honor, the court, you know, all that, like as if you're just a private citizen, you know, who has no power and you barely and, and you badly need the courts to side with you, you are a separate and stronger branch of government. They need to give the Supreme Court an ultimatum in that brief and say, look, let's not look at this case in a vacuum. We are seeing across the board, the lower courts are engaging in civil disobedience against the law. They are violating rules of standing. They're giving third-party organizations rights to sue on behalf of caravans invading our country. Never in our history has this happened. They are fundamentally violating the judicial power. Universal injunctions are unconstitutional, and you know that. You know what statute really says, and you know why they were passed, and you know why Congress in 1996 passed these laws to avoid this very outcome and this very lawfare. You guys have sat idly as your own precedent that even the greatest champions of due process, such as Robert Jackson, said emphatically that these are entrusted with the legislative and executive branches of the government. And again, when you're talking about initial entry, that's really executive. And you've done nothing. Here's your ultimatum. This is your last chance. If you really believe you are supreme, well, it's time to assert your supremeness over your own inferior courts and your own branch of government. And if you are not willing to assert your superiority, over inferior branches that are violating precedent, then we will do it for you. Again, remember, a court, aside for all the other reasons we we spoke about why the courts are violating their separation of powers, courts can't issue injunctions to affect entry for foreign nationals. In other words, what an injunctive relief is, it was designed for, if I'm an American, I have a farm, and government's promulgating some sort of regulation against me. They want to criminalize me. They want to fine me. So in order to find someone on a federal charge, you have to go to a federal court. So that is their jurisdiction to mete out criminal justice to someone who violates the law. So that's where a court could say, I don't agree with this policy because it doesn't follow the law. Sometimes even the law itself is unconstitutional. But what a court can't do is say, give a positive right to foreign nationals. I issue an injunction. Injunction means get off my lawn. Leave me alone. So yes, I'll issue these illegals an injunction. You could stay put in Honduras and we will not bother you. We will not do anything to you. Oh, wait, you want to come here and invade our border? Courts don't give out visas, documents. They can't issue, how do you issue an injunction on that? It's it's like issuing an injunction on Trump's lack of continuation of the Iran deal. It has just as much validity as me putting an injunction on some administrative policy. So you know what? Maybe Trump needs to say, look, again, this is the job of the executive branch. But to those that believe this is only the job of the judicial branch, I'd say, look, Trump needs to say, today I self-identify as a Supreme Court justice. You're not doing your job. I'll do it. This is null and void. He needs to force this issue once and for all. They're not doing it. They're not asserting this. They need to assert 
take take a list of a hundred of my writings the last year on this issue. Cite all the case law, cite all the cases, cite the 10 most egregious judges, say this is not in a vacuum, they're doing this on purpose. Are we supposed to have irrevocable damage while you guys just sit politically back and knowingly allow the lower courts to violate everything? That's the big difference here. There were times that they took certain immigration policies in the 80s and 90s to court when this business started of doing this. But there was no injunction at a lower court level while while legal proceedings were pending. The notion that you could have irrevocable harm on our nation? Are you kidding me? They're not asserting it strongly enough. That's what I'm saying. There's a step before so-called defying a judge. And again, it's not defying. The judge is defying the Supreme Court and the law and the Constitution. What do you do when a judge literally defies its own branch's precedent. But again, they don't have control over these issues. That's what the administration needs to assert. That's where they need to go with this. Because what I'm telling you is you cannot win death by a million immigration lawsuits. You can't adjudicate your way out of, out of an invasion. He has to assert that nothing trumps American sovereignty. It's very easy to give that over. And again, had the administration been doing this for two years, most of the country would be where we are, where this audience is. It would be obvious. Everyone would be laughing out of these judges, would be researching and knowing it. They don't, they're so deferential. Now, look, there's small signs. Sarah Sanders, the White House press secretary, said, you know, kind of derided a liberal judge today. So they're getting there. But I think this is the this is the right opportunity. The judge was a little bit scared because again, all it takes is one time. You know, it's like if you're scared to jump into a cold pool pool of water, you just got to do it one time. Trump needs to stop telegraphing his punches. That's the problem. He talks about it, but then he doesn't do it. So you incur all the liabilities of it and all the political blowback, but then you don't get the benefits from the policy because you don't wind up doing it. He's got to just do it. Do it, and that is it. So that's where we are today. Now, I have my article out. Just came out. I'm going to link to in show notes. Maybe we'll talk about it a little bit more tomorrow. Deter, defend, and demagnetize 10 ways Trump can stop mass illegal migration at our border. But again, they're all predicated on the fact that this administration must at some point stand up must at some point stand up to this nonsense. There is no way around it. One other thing, before I forget, I, I this I'm jumping to a little different issue, but it's really very tied in. A New York City firefighter was one of the three Americans killed Monday when a bomb went off in Afghanistan. Christopher Christopher Slutman, a father of three and a 15-year veteran of the fire department of New York, was one of the service members killed by an improvised explosive device near Begram Air Air Base. Every day, we leave our soldiers in that country with no mission— is immoral, and we are wasting lives. But I want you to think in this context. We have our border wide open. Thousands of criminal aliens, sex offenders, molesters of minors, murderers, pouring over our border. Diseases pouring over our border. At the very least, public charges pouring over our border. Cartels and smugglers that have created a conveyor belt of criminality of bringing these people in, getting the proceeds, paying for more drugs to poison our people, having their scouts sitting on on hilltops and privately owned ranchers on our side of the border, 
directing this flow, directing this invasion, and we will not put our troops in a meaningful way on our border. But we have them refereeing some Islamic civil war in Afghanistan. Oh, so by the way, we could bring them in. As you well know, we're bringing in, you know, hundreds of thousands through green cards and other visas from the Middle Eastern world through our front door every year while we send our boots to be put on their ground to referee civil wars. But you know what? They're coming to the the border too. The chief of um, patrol in the Rio Grande sector, I forgot his name. Um, gosh, what's his name? Oh, Rodolfo Karish. Uh, uh, he's he's the Rio Grande Valley sector chief border patrol agent. He testified that just this fiscal year, they've caught people from fifty countries, including Turkey, Egypt, Bangladesh, and yes, Yemen and Afghanistan. They're coming too. He didn't say Yemen and Afghanistan. I'm sure it's among the 50 countries, but it was confirmed by Yuma Border Patrol last week. I had that confirmed to me through email. So there we are. We bring them in our front door. We leave our back door wide open, shut down our Border Patrol, allow single district judges to shut down our Border Patrol and ICE And our laws, so our soldiers could go halfway around the world to fight the worst sort of fight, which is social work in the middle of a combat zone. The worst, most vulnerable situation for them to be in, to no end, to no purpose. But that continues. You know what? Trump wanted to end it, but you know what? That was another promise where he gave in on. Man, it just really bothers me. I mean, because that's something that should be so easy. Nobody in America wants that. We're not even talking about the fiscal dependency, the welfare. No one needs that. But of course, we won't do anything to clamp down on it. But the situation is even worse than you think it is. Yes, I know that's my trademark. (laughs) Always telling you guys it's worse than you think it is. But it really is. The degree of stolen sovereignty that we have in this country, how foreign nationals could come here, break into our country, make us the criminals, commit all the crime, demand rights, demand access to the courts, then get our courts to literally overturn our laws. It gets worse than that. Literally the inmates running the asylum. This is from the Epoch Times. Motel 6 pays $12 million for cooperating with ICE. The Motel 6 hotel chain agreed to pay a $12 million settlement on April 4th for routinely cooperating with immigration and customs enforcement agents. Washington State sued the hotel chain for complying with requests from ICE to share guest lists, according to Washington State Attorney General Bob Ferguson. The $12 million will go to some 80,000 people who stayed at six Motel 6 locations in Washington from 2015 to 2017. Ferguson said the guests' rights were violated because the hotel gave their personal information to ICE without their knowledge. The information led to the successful detention and deportation of several illegal aliens. Washington Governor Jay Inslee declared the entire state a sanctuary for illegal aliens in February last year. Inslee prohibited any state officials from detaining illegal aliens at the request of federal immigration enforcement authorities. Inslee's order did not extend to private companies. A provision in the Motel 6 settlement will have a national impact. The chain agreed not to share guest information with ICE nationwide unless served with a warrant or other legal order, Ferguson said. Motel 6 has 1,400 locations in the United States. Um, I don't know what to tell you guys. I just don't know what to tell you. Congress has done nothing to clamp down on sanctuary cities. 
The Senate will not even bring a single piece of legislation to the floor. Look at the leverage. Look at the leverage the left is able to exert, even when they control a state. Look at how they're able to influence private businesses. And yet when Republicans control the federal government, they seem to be impotent, can't do anything. Because they have agreed to a system in the courts of heads they win, tails they lose. Which brings me to my next point. My next part of my plan, which is not part of my 10-point plan, of course, is concurrent with us fighting back against the courts. We should use the courts against them. You win by the courts, you die by the courts. You win by a single district ruling, well, you die by a single district ruling. I believe the Texas attorney general needs to go shop around for a guy like Judge Hannon in Texas to get standing and say, look, if illegal aliens could get standing, if third-party NGOs could get standing, if states could get standing to sue for more illegals and more visas, well, certainly we could get standing to sue when the federal government is violating statute. See, here's the thing. Statute says these people must be detained. These are economic migrants. They're flooding Texas with diseases. They're flooding their schools. They're flooding them with crime. While, while the Border Patrol is busy, these guys are getting in. You know, this literally just happened um, on Friday. Where, I'm trying to find this here, in Beaumont, Texas... Police pulled over a 34-year-old Mexican illegal for a traffic violation. You know what they found? They found that he was already deported years ago for indecent liberty with a child. Indecent liberty with a child. And he came in again recently. They have such a case they could build against the federal government. See, that's the thing. If if the left is going to sue the administration in California to overturn our immigration laws, keep in mind the law says they must be detained. We'll say, well, a California judge said the opposite. Well, a Texas judge could say, wait a minute, the law is this. I don't know what you're talking about with that. I'm not speculating here because this is essentially what Judge Andrew Hannon of the Southern District of Texas said in December 2013. He said, I don't know what you're talking talking about. Again, the, the uh, Obama administration was, was uh, completing the criminal conspiracy to process and release these people rather than detaining and deterring and deporting them. And they said, oh, well, there's the floor is settable. He's like, that expired. There's nothing to do with this. Fight fire with fire. So I think that is another solid example of how they could go through each area of law and show how the administration is violating law. The law says the opposite. And look, you know, the Trump administration would welcome such a move. Not only would this help bring the border issue to a head, in my view, it will help bring this concept of lower court judicial supremacy to head because it will just show the absurdity of it. So here you'll have one judge saying you must do this, one judge saying you're prohibited from doing this. And then everyone will realize why this whole thing is a charade. Why courts should have no power over these decisions whatsoever. Let me know what you think about that. But I think this is something that easily the Texas government could do. Boy, oh boy, if anyone has irrevocable harm... From what's going on, it's the state of Texas. The Rio Grande Valley alone, last week in one 24-hour period, 1,776 individuals came in or were apprehended at one within that 24-hour period. Again, the guy who is the chief patrol officer in the Rio Grande Valley said he's never seen anything like that in 30 years of patrolling. So that's the thing. I think it's time Texas sued the administration from the other end. Now, you never know. I mean, Murphy's Law always dictates that the left always gets the judges they want, and you know, you can't, can't always get your judges, but 
you know, I don't have the rosters, you know, offhand where where they are. But you know, I you, you have three. You have the West Texas, you have North Tex- Texas, and you have South Texas. Um, you know, let me check this up here. So you, I mean, theoretically, you could take this in several dish, district courts. Again, obviously, Southern District is where you have uh, Judge Hannon. Although it does have a tremendous amount of Democrat appointees. So, um, you know, that's another issue. Actually, actually, I'm sorry. There's four districts. There's the Eastern District of Texas, too. Um, but again, that's got a lot of vacancies in it. That's got a lot of Democrat appointees. Um, I don't know. Frankly, maybe I'd go to the Northern District of Texas. And uh, go there. I think there's a lot they can do. Yeah, that's what I'd do. I'd go to the Northern District of Texas. Go to that court. Do what the left does. And completely sue them for violating law. Very simple. I mean, you could build a massive case. I think that that's a brilliant move because, again, it, it will not just you know deal with the immigration issue. It will demonstrate it, – it, it will finally force the Supreme Court to deal with this problem of um, universal injunctions conflicting each other and forum shopping. So I think that's what needs to happen. Now, just wanted to go back to some stuff from yesterday in the remaining of today's show, remainder of today's show. We talked about the opportunities with the vacancies at DHS, DHS secretary forced to resign, the current CBP director taking over an interim. Hopefully, it's only interim. We have to make sure it's only interim, but that leaves the vacancy at both CBP and at at, uh, ICE. Now... What's very interesting is Republicans don't seem to be bothered. The Republicans in the Senate, much less the Democrats, don't seem to be too bothered by what's going on in our border. They don't seem to be bothered by what's going on in our interior. Sanctuary cities, criminal aliens, the number of Americans killed by illegal alien drunk driving, drug trafficking, Homicide, sex offenses, identity theft. No, no, no. None of that is a priority. They're concerned by Trump's reaction to it. They're like, hey, there's a, you must have seen all these news stories. Oh, there's a lot of chaos. This is not a way to run a DHS with all this uh, void in leadership. Really? What do you think's happened the last year or two? It's like DHS is shut down. They don't have a problem with it. You officially fire the leaders to get new leadership in there to solve the problem, and suddenly they're upset. Quote, strikes me as just a frustration of not being able to solve a problem. Honestly, it wasn't Secretary Nielsen's fault. It wasn't for a lack of effort on her part. I don't know if there's anybody who's going to be able to do more, said Cornyn. John Cornyn, clown. I thought that Nielsen was doing a fantastic job, added Joni Ernst of Iowa, the LGBTQFU leader. I would love to see some continuity. I think that's important. I mean, what a bimbo, what a dummy, knows nothing about the issue, doesn't care, but suddenly is upset that Kirsten Nielsen is, you know, pushed out. Now, look, there's a little bit of a complication going on here because, first of all, there are also... There's the reports they're going to push out um, Kathy Kovrick, who heads the Office of Policy and Strategy at USCIS and the chief um, counsel of DHS. I forgot his name. I'm all for that. But the, but the one guy also is uh, Cisna. Lee Francis Cisna, who's the head of the third major agency, which is USCIS. That's the agency, as you all know, that adjudicates the asylum claims, but also processes visas. Um, deals with marriage fraud. And Cisna is the guy who's closest to us. Um, I happen to know, you know, at some point when 
some of our allies were bashing the deep state at the asylum adjudication department at USCIS. Cisna's wife contacted him and was like, no, don't blame us. We're good. We're trying to help. I mean, he he's pretty good. And I agree that he shouldn't be fired because I don't think you're going to get better at this point in that agency. But just so you know, what I'm hearing is that the reason why Stephen Miller pushed for him to go is because he was upset that he called on Cisna to fire some of these clowns, mid-level guys that were giving problems and for whatever reason, he declined to do so. So I don't blame Steve. I understand why Steven's upset. But I think of all people, I think that one we should probably just keep. It's just not worth the liability of going through another confirmation if there's no one readily available who's, available who's better. But you got Pat Roberts, the rhino rhino senator from Kansas who's a liberal as anything, he's like, I don't think Chris Kobach could get confirmed. Chris Kobach, as you well know, is from Kansas. So he wants to drive a stake through him even before he could, uh, you know, get on the table as an option. Because he does not want any enforcement of our laws. And look, I stand before you today. You well know I helped recruit Milton Wolf in 2014 to run against this clown. I helped recruit the man to run against him. Um, he did so good. He came very close. And in fact, had there been a runoff, see, Kansas is not like the southern states where um, you get a you you go to a runoff if you don't get fifty percent. Roberts got less than fifty percent, but he didn't need a runoff, and he and he won. Milton did it all on his own. Could have had a good senator from there instead. This is what we got. Now he is announcing he is retiring in twenty twenty. But look, there's there's no focus on primaries anymore. And part of the problem, part of why I haven't put my heart in it, aside from just being so worn out. Um, you know, but it's it's the president himself. The president winds up backing these guys. So we're actually worse off in terms of primary challenges than we ever were because any conservative is dissuaded from challenging a rhino incumbent simply because they know the president is going to wind up supporting him. Jared's going to go to him or they're going to um, – the incumbent is going to go to one of the jerks in the White House, get Trump to sign off and convince him, oh, this guy is going to lose the seat for you. You got to you know, keep the incumbent there. And uh, you can't win against someone Trump endorses in a primary. What are you going to do? So that's where we are with that. Oh, here's another headline. Washington Times, Democrats look to vote on Dreamers and TPS legislation before August recess. Again, notice. Notice that when Dems control the Senate, or in this case, control the House, I'm sorry, they vote on what they want. Sorry, I'm just sending a message here. Um, but Republicans will not vote on sanctuaries. I mean, isn't that sad? They, 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 I mean, j just give control of the Senate to the, to, the, to, to the Democrats. Don't you want to win? I mean, th this is so frustrating. You know who is voting on sanctuary cities? My buddy Ron DeSantis. He's pushing legislation, the Florida State Legislature, to end sanctuary cities in all these localities in Florida. Very critical state. Okay? That is how you do MAGA right. This country is at a crossroads. This administration is at a crossroads. Now look, the Democrats are so insane, it could be Trump could win re-election no matter what. But my goal isn't just that he he wins re-election. It's that there is some sort of meaning to his second term where we will actually go forwards on some of these policies like border, health care, and debt, not backwards. But I'll take one. 
I'll take one of the three. And if nothing else, if we end judicial supremacy, at least at a lower court level, we would have accomplished something big because, frankly, that issue covers everything. One of the things we're going to talk about tomorrow, the president is giving a big speech in Houston about another executive policy he's going to have on expediting permitting and pipelines. America's own oil miracle. It's unbelievable the production of our oil and natural gas, our exports, our refining capabilities now. What it's doing for our economy, our diplomacy. Guess what? That is in the process of being shut down by the courts. Nothing, repeat after me, nothing matters until we grab the bull by the horns, the bull of judicial supremacy and speak the truth, how it's nothing but bulls, you know what. It's a complete fabrication. It's an imprecation to our legal system, to our constitutional system. The very least, we could start at the lower court level. Trump's at a crossroads. He has an opportunity with the courts and immigration coming to a head, like I said, to force the issue. And I think Texas could exacerbate this a little bit more in a good way by forcing lawsuits the other direction. We'll talk about that more in the coming days. Got to run. Lots going on. Lots in my brain. In order to get this over to you, I got to first uh, process it, write it, speak to people. We'll do it all again, same time tomorrow. God bless you all. Thanks for your support. Thanks for being patriots. Thanks for being vigilant for American liberty. Until next time, this has been another episode of The Conservative Conscience.